Hey everyone, welcome to Creepy Inquiries. A podcast dedicated to all things creepy, spoopy, and true crimey. With your hosts, Miss Kevin and Edie, your friendly neighborhood queers. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this what? This is episode Where 70, fucking seven, man. It is episode 77. You're so vain, I bet you think episode 77's about you, Carly Simon. Carly Simon. Let that river run, mama. Oh my God, let the river run. God damn. My roommate, senior year in college, Enrico, was absolutely obsessed with let the river run he would lip sync it and act it out big time whenever he would put it on which was like three times a week <laughs> that was one of my mom's favorite songs heck Love yes it. carly simon what a great way to start off that list yes definitely creator of garfield jim davis 77 oh hey is he fine is he cool i don't know i, I don't know. know i okay. truly don't know fine well he is 77 uh, you know who is fine who? Two, Who? two of the members of the First Wives Club, Diane <gasps> Keaton and Bette Midler, both seventy-seven. Oh, that fucking movie! I watched what a it great so film. many times as a kid. I loved that movie. Yay! We love it's them so both. good. It's, it's such a classic. I can I got a heart of glass for Debbie Harry, seventy-seven. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's fine. Legends. This is why we're getting up to the legend status because uh-huh. we're getting in the 70s. Oh, we're like, you have legend. no fucking idea because two arrested development legends, Henry yes. Winkler and Elijah Minnelli, 77. Oh, <laughs> God, yes. I was hoping for some kind of grand romantic gesture. <laughs> Just a touch of the dizzies. <gasps> whoa, whoa, whoa. I Hold the phone. Her <laughs> the third member of the First Wives Club, Goldie Hawn, <gasps> also 77. No, what? All three of them. They're oh, all triple. 77. Banger year 77 years ago was. It's triple a triple. Uh, this, it's, it's so good. This list is so good. We also have Tim Curry. Nice. Dr. Oh, Frankenfurter okay. himself, 77. Yes. Uh-huh. And I have, to, I have to close with two absolute perfection. She's working nine to five, <gasps> even at Dolly. 77. Oh, we Dolly love her Harton, so much. Queen Dolly. This oh. is full of legends. And uh, finally, perhaps the most legendary of them all. Follow your bliss. Kevin's <gasps> childhood idol. Share. Really? How my no, mom like, did not know. How my mom just, did not know. I don't understand how your mother did not know that you were gay. Know. That's she why. just didn't the want to know. The song Believe resonated with me uh-huh. for some reason. One of my favorites. And then cut to me six months later performing mm-hmm. a version of Dark Lady on my mom's mm-hmm. fireplace. Like, uh, lady, She just come on. thought 
you were an entertainer. I guess not so. that you were a homosexual. <laughs> Also, one of my favorite things from Kevin's childhood is a picture he drew uh, of yeah. himself in the audience at yeah. a share concert. I love that your dream was to be in the audience, audience. not on stage with Cher, but just I, there, just there seeing it. I can still see that picture clearly. In I my have mind. it somewhere. Do I you? Have it. I believe I kept so it. Much. Yeah. I have it. Oh somewhere. my god! Oh, if you so find good. it, post it on our Instagram yes, page please, at Creepy Inquiries Pod. I will. I <laughs> promise I will. But that means that we're in episode seventy-seven. Miss, what did you get up to this past weekend? Well, I um, I had a really good weekend actually. Um, bes- like uh, my girlfriend <gasps> Amanda came over. Oh my. Take it in. It's podcast official. It's podcast official. It's exclusive. Exclusive. It's exclusive. It's a creepy inquiry exclusive. This is listener. You're Uh hearing Uh Edie's reaction to this Uh news in real time. Mm -hmm. Live. I. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Oh, well. So we've been friends for years and everybody thought we were dating anyway, just because we were both gay. But now it turns out um, we kind of like each other. So we're giving it a go. But she came over and we we visited my favorite, favorite bookstore. She lives in Philly. So she has an abundance of cute little indie bookstores, especially ones that are like, queer or at least like queer centered in a way uh-huh. like this place here like it's my favorite fucking place amanda is the only person i know who knows how to appropriately go to a bookstore like i do which is where you go and you have to touch all the books and you have to read all of the backs and then you have to go back and do it all again to make sure you're not it's really annoying to other people. Oh so God. it's really that nice that me she knows in a blockbuster in the nineties. That was my dad in a blockbuster <laughs> and it used to drive me fucking crazy. <laughs> Shout out to you, dad. But um, who does canonically listen to the pod? He does Shout listen out. to the pod. Yes, he does. Dad, what's up? <laughs> so we were there for like a good hour and a half and it was lovely. And this is a small bookstore. It's like the first floor of an old Victorian house. It was Perfect. so nice. And then we just came back and ate pizza and watched what did we watch atypical which i'd never seen before it's actually quite Ooh, cute it's fine yeah, yeah. atypical Ooh. is fine and cute yeah Beautiful. it's really cute so yeah it was relaxing and then today i did some searching and am really making headway on my new cross stitch for my niece so, yay yes. when is the due date how many weeks Her, or days um three weeks three weeks okay well, plenty of time yeah 16 days her birthday's the 20th 16 so. days is just over two weeks. Yes. Yeah, that's what I said. Just still plenty of time. Still plenty of oh, time. Oh, is it really? Oh, shit. 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 14 Get plus two. Well, I, I'm more, I'm, I'm almost halfway done, so I'm good. Good. You're good. No, I'm panicking. It's fine. Edie, how was your weekend? <laughs> yeah, we'll let you panic. Uh, we are packing to go Thank out you. of state. Yeah. To- uh-huh. Uh, go to see my little sister and her fiance get meowed. Mowage. Mowage is what brings us together today. Oh, that's uh, so exciting. That's wonderful, yeah. Mazel. It's 
Thank you. Thank you. I accept your mazels. We are flying out in a few days. I am doing a lot of the makeup and hair. So I have like the bridal party outfit and then Mr. Fake Names outfit, all of which have to go in carry-ons because we cannot risk. No way to risk. Cannot risk it. Can't risk it for the biscuit. So (laughs) the packing um, is stressful. The stress about family dynamics in a wedding Mm -hmm. time is stressful. Mm -hmm. But we're, we're not just surviving. We're thriving. We're that is excellent. so good. That is amazing. We're doing great. I've got. I've. I've been obsessively putting things together and like squirreling them away. I've got my little. I've set up my travel Cute. sized tubes of shampoo, conditioner, TSA wash, be damned. Face cleanser, Not today, cleanser. TSA. Fuck the TSA. They don't find anything. They don't no. find anything. Nope. I'm doing makeup and hair. I've set up a fancy. Manny Petty situation Ooh, for me, so Mama jealous. Fake Name, and Little Fake Name. Ooh, wunderbar. Oh, excellent. That's going to be nice and expensive. Ooh. Yeah. I'm bringing a bunch of Korean sheet masks for our faces. Nice. And uh, other kinds math. of face masks. I'm going to try and get like everybody in on it, regardless of, of age or gender, of like, mm-hmm. we're doing. We're doing, we're doing face beauty. masks. We're, we're doing, doing self-care. We're doing beauty. We're doing self-care. <laughs> That's what we're doing. It's, it's going to be lovely. And I will be absent from the pod next week. Mm-hmm. There, there you may will. be some yeah. kind of special guest we might in my place. To, yeah, we might be able to get there some. There might be. Might just yeah, want to need to stay tuned, everybody. I think, I think you'll want I to. I will not be replaced. So no, you won't. I just. <laughs> I Never. Sorry. I must make that clear before I leave. I am coming back. (laughs) I will not be usurped. I will not be usurped. You will not. You will not. I will have a strengthening (laughs) gel manicure, so I will claw the eyes out of whatever usurper (laughs) tries to take my place on this pod. I am galvanized. For at least two weeks. For at least two weeks. (laughs) Claws are out. (laughs) Kevin, what have you been doing? I've been doing my same old, same old stuff. Hanging around. Life is good. Been working on painting still. Same painting. Your painting looks amazing. Oh, thank you. Sent oh, us my God. I forgot yesterday. to tell you, Kevin. Joanna Lumley is 77. Oh, <gasps> my God. Ha! Oh, yes. Oh, Patsy. The best. The, the best creepy inquiries extended universe has. <laughs> it's 77 is like a magic Truly, really is. number. We're just keep peppering seventy-sevens throughout this episode. Just throughout, whenever yeah. we're least expecting it, please. I know that one tied I, into I what sure I was will. saying, but just going forward. Perfect. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, that, it looks incredible. But thank you very much. I'm really uh, excited about it, and I've been doing some gardening work outside too, and that's nice. been fun. But yeah, we have a, we're having a good time. Everything's Excellent. been going well. Love that's that. Great. It yeah. And and I am bringing the true crime story today too. That's and right. Entertains me. We are in mm-hmm. June. This is Pride Month, y'all. Yeah, and if we've ever needed a Pride Month, it's this Ooh. year. Oh, we require indeed. Pride. Yeah. Oh yes. Happy Pride Month, but don't forget, demon is in the middle of that word. Two words. It's the that's best. right. It's the, that's right. It's that's but, the best meme to t-shirt. Uh, pipeline that i've seen right wing to queer t-shirt pipeline uh-huh true 
True. Just like give us strength. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, uh, I am going to be bringing today a pride themed episode. Okay. Of this true crime story. It's important for Yay. us to teach the children, darling. Absolutely. We must. Mm. Know our history, her story, and their story. That's Thank right. you. And before I do, I want to play this very iconic soundbite from famous drag queens Derek Berry and Willem to celebrate okay. this Pride Month, okay? All Excellent. right. It's like when people don't know what Stonewall is. You know what I mean? Why don't, you tell, like, why don't you tell everybody what that is? That was fighting for gay rights, mm-hmm. and people were killed. Nobody they were, was killed at Stonewall. Nobody nope. was killed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. No, oh, baby. No one was killed at Stonewall. No one Nobody was killed. Was killed. At, I mean, that's correct. That is correct. No one was killed at Stonewall. Still important, though. That it's lives in my mind. Uh-huh. <laughs> I fucking love that. <laughs> But um, this is Pride Month, and the history of us queer folks span mm-hmm. millennia. They contain multitudes. This is but a sliver been. of our shared histories. The Stonewall okay. Riot is but a sliver of the story as well. Yeah. Please mm. don't hear that as me diminishing the impact of Stonewall, of course. No. Right, the opposite. Stonewall is a pivotal, galvanizing moment in queer history and the fight Absolutely. for queer acceptance. LGBTQ uprisings, particularly at food and drink establishments, they're fairly canonical within mm-hmm. queer history. Locales like gay bars, restaurants, food halls, they have a lot to do with where queer communities could congregate or could gather legally or just basis. safely. And to kick off this Pride Month's first Creepy Inquiries episode, I bring to you the little-known pre-Stonewall uprising that occurred in 1966, San Francisco. It's called the Compton's Cafeteria Riot, and it was in response to consistently violent police harassment of trans people and drag queens, particularly trans women. Well, hell yeah. I've never heard of it. I've never heard of the Compton Cafeteria Riot. I'm excited to share this. Yes. The incident began when a trans woman resisted arrest by throwing coffee at a police officer. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, well, don't I do mean, it. It's assault. I wouldn't recommend like, it. It's like, it is, it is assault. But. <laughs> you know, it happens. And we're yeah, here and we're telling you about it. It's, it simply happens. And was it, it very happens. cool? Yeah. A little bit. (laughs) So what happened after the coffee throwing, what followed were drag queens, trans women pouring into the streets, fighting Mm -hmm. back with their high heels and heavy bags. God, we owe so much to the pioneering trans women. Seriously. Nearly everything. Absolutely. Hear that, LGB motherfuckers? Mm -hmm. We will touch on that. Mm Mm-hmm. The Compton's Cafeteria Riot launched the trans rights movement that is alive and well today in San Francisco, which has in turn inspired millions of queers who've come after it around mm-hmm. the world. So this isn't as well known as Stonewall, but no. it is um, very well known to those who know it, or it's very well wow. revered to those who know it. And in order to gain context for how and when Stonewall could end up occurring, which happened three years after Compton's cafeteria, we have to acknowledge how the importance of riots like Compton's cafeteria 
and the overall homophile movement of the 50s and 60s kind of paved the way for that. Yep. That's just the old-fashioned word for homosexual. Thank you. That was exactly correct. (laughs) Homophile. And this time during society, it was a pivotal period for a lot of things, sexual, gender, ethnic minorities, uh, in Western culture at least. And this is also when social movements, championing civil rights, and sexual liberations came to fruition too. So a lot of stuff was happening and converging and intersecting all at the same time. Also, the 1950s saw the dawn of the homophile movement, which, as Miss said, is just an old term that was used for homosexual, queer... Non-straight. Non-straight, exactly. But for a long, long while, even to this day, unfortunately, the most marginalized people in our community, which are trans women of color, receive Mm -hmm. the most intra... LGBTQ prejudice and ostracization, even to this day. Yeah. Yeah. No, for big time. For real. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there are so many intersecting reasons for that that we can point to historically. I mean, the just first race, gender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. All those things. All of it. All of the outside all of labels are that on which is women. feminine is yes. uh, seen as less than that, which is non-white yep. is seen as less than, mm-hmm. you know. And where is that ultimately rooted and ex- a- a- all of that? And those it's are that European patriarchy bullshit. Rare in its ugly head. Toxic masculinity strikes again. again. Yes, Vince does. McMahon is 77. yes Edie (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so fun excellent (laughs) but we are uh, both of you are absolutely right drag itself has been a visible part of pride marches since like the 70s but the Mm -hmm. LG and B parts of the group uh, have long been afraid to embrace trans causes yes Anything that's not heteronormative, which is mm-hmm. it's so rejected. strange to me as well. The um, yeah. the idea that drag has long been part of gay male culture, and there have been trans women involved in drag for that whole time. Yeah. Exactly. But for some reason, once and I mean for some reason, uh, once it becomes something that is not a costume you put on and take off. Work. Right. Once it's yeah. no but longer part for of who someone else's entertainment. Right. Then it's that. then it is suddenly, you know, mm-hmm. not okay, Wrong. not fun. Right. That's ex- and that is hitting the nail on the head yet again because once it turns from a spectacle or for entertainment and it becomes people's mm-hmm. lives, well that in itself that's where the patriarchy and the the mm-hmm. all of these Misogyny. ugly thoughts, misogynies come into play more, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And for San Francisco during that time, there was an emergence of trans awareness or at least the existence. And there was some social groups and particularly some progressive churches that were starting to care about trans people. There was a... Wow. Yeah, there was a pro- uh, progressive offshoot of the Methodist Church, particularly. Methodists have been historically more progressive than others. Mm-hmm. That's what I've read. Yeah, and there was this weird dichotomy 
well, not weird, but there was this dichotomy in the city at that time where there were these social groups and these uh, progressive leaning churches that were caring for trans people out there, starting to support them in broad daylight. But then you had the cops that were mm-hmm. resisting that change and they were continuing. What? Wait, I, yeah. Kevin, I don't understand. I don't understand. Let me finish. Cops Let me always finish. Embrace, embrace change. <laughs> Cops are always embracing change. They embrace change. That's what is written on their cars, their patrol cars. Right. So speaking of patrol cars, did you all see the NYPD commissions a queer artist to do like a pride rap for the the NYPD (sighs) police vehicles? No, I did not. And this artist did. And underneath, it was like a little pride logo underneath Mm -hmm. it. The artist wrote, all colors are beautiful. Snuck <laughs> an A cab onto their patrol cars and took money from the cops to do it. Yes, yes, that is how you do it. That and is that's beautiful. Activism. That's incredible. That's praxis, baby. Mm-hmm. That's a oh, that's beautiful. delicious. Oh, that's oh. great. More of that, please. That's beautiful. (laughs) But yes, the more that these social groups were caring for trans people during that time in San Francisco, the more cops were resisting and perpetuating the city-funded harassment and abuse towards Mm -hmm. these marginalized people. I don't think a lot of people really understand. Like when they hear San Francisco, especially these days, like Mm -hmm. it's a liberal place. Like you have all of you know, the historical queer communities and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was an incredibly conservative place before this time period. That's a lot of where pushback can come from. I have to plug my friend's husband's book called Palo Alto, A History of California, Capitalism and the World. His name is Malcolm Harris. Mm. And it talks a whole lot about the Northern California vibe mm-hmm. kind of always being as exploitative and shitty as yeah. it currently is. Despite, you know, popping up of um, cool social things like the queer movement in the Castro district and stuff like that. Yeah. That sounds really cool. We're going to give them a shout out for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And before we talk about the riot itself, I have to touch on like the briefest of boiled down summaries of trans history and of this part of San Francisco to give some of the context here. The Western general public was made most broadly aware of trans identities after the much reported on 1952 medical transition of Christine Jorgensen in Denmark. Oh, yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Christine Jorgensen's- did a lot for us. She really did. And her appearance on the Dick Cavett show is really Huge. something. Oh, Historical. I haven't seen that. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would love to watch that. Well, her entire story, her picture, you name it, they started this debate, I guess, or th- yeah. at least this discussion in swaths of society that never would have talked about that before. And mm-hmm. every time that happens, of course, throughout history, the tick of progress moves ever so slightly. And so that's always a good thing, right? Can be. <laughs> but um, in the broader context of the 50s and 60s and this more liberation movements, suddenly you look around and you had feminists, you know, burning their bras and, and foregoing makeup. Mm-hmm. You had mm-hmm. all the Beatles growing mustaches and mop tops, the 
hippie fashions in general, which mm-hmm. were super gendy nooch, were like all the rage. Yeah, yeah. jeans and t-shirts. <laughs> Like, and a book was published everything. in 1966, a few months before the riot, entitled mm-hmm. The Transsexual Phenomenon. And that book was written by Harry Benjamin, who had treated Christine Jorgensen. Interesting. And the book created a furor with its frank look at gender and how providing gender-affirming care, which was not the terms that they used at the time, yeah. but how that was the best way to treat trans people. Imagine. Imagine that all the way back in the late 60s. Honestly, I like no joke. That is surprising. Mm -hmm. There's so much more to it, of course. But um, Harry began offering information and gender affirming surgeries to trans people. And due to all of those kinds of successes he had throughout Europe and and, and America, he opened up a San Francisco practice not far from Compton's cafeteria which provided mm, care okay. to many of the women that participated in the riot. Yeah. So it's just things always are happening and connecting. Sure. And- so, of course, if his clinic is there, then more trans people worldwide are going to want to congregate there since they know that this is this is where I can be respected. There's at least more people like me at the very exactly. least. Exactly. I'm not the only person in the world, which is... You know, I think mm-hmm. all of us queer people can understand that realization and how important it is. Yeah. And Compton's Cafeteria, it was actually a chain of like food hall establishments. They were owned by a man named Gene Compton. They started around the 40s and they kind of ended around the 70s. The location in question that we're talking about here today was located in the Tenderloin District of San Francisco. And the <laughs> Tenderloin District. Beefy beefy it got its <laughs> name because of the corruption okay. there with uh, the cops they they had a lot that they could make money off of i guess in a way and and yeah that was the meaty part of town and the juicy part of ten- town they could afford the higher cuts of meat like the tenderloin that yep there was uh, Compton's Cafeteria there, and it was mm-hmm. a popular meeting place for trans people, especially trans women, to congregate publicly in the city. Mm-hmm. It was more of a place to socialize because, A, they really didn't have a lot of money anyway, and B, right. it was one of the few places they could meet because as trans women, they were unwelcome in gay bars, too. There was uh, mm-hmm. rampant transphobia. Yeah. Compton's staff would often call the police on any of the people that they deemed needed to have the cops call, we'll say. have at least three pieces of clothing that matched your gender. Yeah, you could be arrested for simply having the buttons buttoned the, quote, wrong way on your Mm -hmm. button-down shirt. Oof. That's why women's shirt button Mm -hmm. one way, men's shirt button another way. Yep, yep, yep. So stupid. I mean, it's it's biblical. It's It's biblical. It's, it's, it's biblical. Jesus wanted us to have extremely rigid clothing rules. Truly did. The man did. who wore a dress. Jesus knew blouses would be a thing one day. He knew buttons would be a thing one day. They knew. He did. Yeah. Zippers and everything. <laughs> the Denderloin District of San Francisco was always inhabited by traditionally marginalized people, uh, usually working class people, people of color. In the early 1960s, nearby neighborhoods employed a mixture of, you know, upping luxury development along with police harassment techniques 
to corral the, you know, quote, undesirable people. The undesirables. Into a more, quote, manageable area. And that certainly was the case for the Tenderloin District. There were known gay neighborhoods and lesbian neighborhoods outside of the Tenderloin, but as they were being pushed out by rent pricing and Mm -hmm. um, uh, police sweeps, they Mm -hmm. congregated in the Tenderloin District. And when you have a marginalized, oppressed people living in one space that has no opportunities for growth or very little opportunity for growth, you often see higher rates of sex work. There's one thing that you can always sell. Mm-hmm. The oldest profession the oldest, in the world. I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and many trans women and drag queens did sex work in order to survive. They ended up in the profession because they faced job discrimination and systematic marginalization. Yeah. The yeah. clothes that I wear are illegal. How could I possibly get a job? <laughs> like, Amen. Yeah. Felicia Flames Elizondo, a participant Ooh. in the riot, recalled Excellent in a 20... 20- oh, beautiful name. Mm. She recalled in a 2015 interview that, quote, a lot of people thought we were sick mental trash. Nobody cared whether we lived or died. Our own families abandoned us and we had nowhere to go. Yo, and if you think that the time of getting arrested for female impersonation is over, mm-hmm. we it, like we're we're getting closer not. and closer to it every fucking day. You are absolutely right. I want to say these laws are unlikely to pass constitutional muster, but like fucking anything is goddamn possible. Anus thing is possible. Anus, Anus thing is possible. As uh, Professor Alaska Thunderfuck five thousand has <laughs> from the planet Glamtron. <laughs> Know your history, folks. That's right. (laughs) So because of this rash of harassment by the management staff as well as the police, in 1965, a group of queer youth, many of them trans, many of them in survival sex work, formed a social and political group called Vanguard, perhaps the first known gay youth organization in the U.S. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And they had often no money to buy things, so they were usually kicked out by the cafeteria staff. There was one of these moments where they kicked out Vanguard members. This event took place July 19th, 1966. It was when cops were called. They were kicked out. They were harassed, you name it. Vanguard members then picketed at Compton's cafeteria. Hmm. There was an article titled, quote, Young homos, picket Comptons. <laughs> Goddamn. Young homos. That's, I love that it. should be a band. Anybody starting a band, young homos is it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and it's also very like 2020s rapper style, like mm-hmm. Y-U-N-G. Yes. Somebody's got to be young homo. Yeah. Yes. yes. Young homo. <laughs> uh, at Lil Nas X has walked so young homo can run eventually. That's right. That's right. That is exactly That's right. We pre-stan young homo whenever they <laughs> We future stan. <laughs> so although the picket itself was unsuccessful, it was one of the first demonstrations against police violence directed towards trans people in San Francisco. And that was a big Excellent. deal. Yeah. The riot itself began some August night in 1966. The details and the actual dates are not known. Uh, police records from the 60s don't exist now. And uh, convenient. Many, uh, convenient. 
and many survivors are no longer surviving. So we don't know exactly when in August it occurred, but a few weeks after the July Vanguard picket, and that is when the riot took place. A Compton's worker, as usual, called the police, claiming that some trans customers were becoming raucous. The police responded to the call, came to Compton's, and when one of the cops began a strong-arm arrest of a trans woman, she threw a cup of coffee in his face. Mm. We love to see it. According to the director of a beautiful documentary entitled Screaming Queens, the director, Susan Straker, says that at that time, after the coffee was thrown, the cafeteria erupts. Yeah. Patrons also said that many other items were being thrown at the few cops that were in the restaurant at the time, including sugar shakers, tables were being overturned, dinnerware, all all of those kinds of things were being chucked at the cops, and they retreated outside to call for backup. But that is where fighting Mm. continued. We were not done, baby. The protesters. Don't count us out. Yep. They ended up damaging a police car. They ended up burning down a sidewalk newsstand. They ended up breaking the windows of Compton's cafeteria by throwing the sugar shakers through them or Mm. their high-heeled shoes. You name it. Love the way you say sugar shaker, by the way. Sugar shaker. Sugar shaker. That's, That's young homo's first hit. Is sugar shaker. Oh, fuck, <laughs> sugar shaker. Mm-hmm. oh, I love this already. Yeah. <laughs> Police responded by a force and fighting back. Obviously. And by the end of the first night, protesters were put in paddy wagons. Mm-hmm. The next day, though, more trans people, more tenderloin residents, you name it, members of the LGBT community, they returned to the cafeteria to continue and picket. Because Compton Cafeteria would not let them enter the establishment. Mm -hmm. The demonstration ended on day two with the newly installed plate glass windows being smashed again. (laughs) I don't know how they got them that quickly. I mean, good for you. (laughs) Look, they shouldn't have put them up that fast. It shouldn't have put it up. It ain't over till it's over. Mm -hmm. To be fair, that's a good point. Money not well spent. It ain't over till it's over. Board them up. Until things cool down. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just imagining, like, the the dudes, the, like, glass (laughs) installers, like, showing up, putting in the glass. And as they're Uh kind of cheerfully walking away, the picketers (laughs) come up and smash it. I love, I love. (laughs) Great job, men. Oh, Oh, shucks. (gasps) But then the glass guy is walking away. They're, like, seeing it and being like. We got paid. All right. Yeah. We got paid. We're going to get paid again now. <laughs> yes. We- <laughs> Drag queens creating jobs. <laughs> and the sad part, too, about it is since there's very little that has been preserved for posterity, we don't have particular names of participants. Oh. We have some survivor testimony, but uh, like I said earlier, we don't have police records. We don't know what the fates were of the people that were arrested that night. What we do know is uh, after that initial riot took place, Vanguard, the youth group, they orchestrated several notable actions. I'm I'm sure they were feeling emboldened by what was occurring due to the riot. So in late 1966, Vanguard hosted a historic street sweep in response to the events at Compton's. 
which included about 50 Vanguard members taking to the streets in the Tenderloin with push brooms borrowed from people in the city. Yeah. Yeah, they did so as a protest, which was a direct response to routine police practice known as Mm -hmm. sweeping the streets. Yep. What are you sweeping? Are you calling us trash? Yes, Yes. they are. But yes. You're throwaway people. All trash is before the broom. Honey, I'm not trash. Mm -hmm. I'm sweeping up trash, Mm -hmm. but I am not trash. And you will not treat me as such. You're on the other side of this. Love it. I love love that. The imagery. Yeah, I love the sim- symbolism. The theater. It's really good. It's, it's good. The theater of it all. It's, oh, and it was resourceful. They didn't buy the brooms. It was great. Chef's kiss. Recycling. The cl- <laughs> <laughs> Reduce, reuse, recycle, Rihanna. Recycle. <laughs> the Compton's Cafeteria ride has been described as having been largely lost to history. And that is true. Historian Susan Stryker, who rediscovered a lot of these testimonies in 2005, in partnership with a film director named Victor Silverman, they released a documentary about the riot known as Screaming Queens. Excellent. Good title. Oh, yeah. Oh, wonderful. Great title. And it was a great piece of cinema that needed to be captured Mm -hmm. before everyone that was known to have participated was uh, was dead. Yeah. In the aftermath of the riot, a network of transsocial, psychological, and medical support services were starting to be established. Oh, that's great. In 1968, there was the creation of the National Transsexual Counseling Unit, or NTCU, oh. which was the first such peer-run support and advocacy organization, I think, oh, I in the that. world. That's incredible. It's a good, That's awesome. good thing in my book. An extremely, extremely unlikely ally at the time was a man named Sergeant Elliot Blackstone. He was okay. a cis, white, straight cop in his early 30s who, in the 1960s, befriended trans people, gay, lesbian, mm-hmm. queer people in the Tenderloin District. Yeah. In 2006 which was the 40th anniversary of the riot itself. Mm-hmm. At the age of 81, retired Sergeant Elliot Blackstone was made Grand Marshal at the San Francisco <gasps> Pride Parade to honor oh, his that's work. That's really cute. That's yeah. very cute. You know, like, it. Elliot's part of the story shows that, like, it really, all it really, really takes to yeah. change somebody's mind, Context somebody theory. who's... You know, talking in good faith. I mean, bad no. faith actors, you're never going to change their minds. But No, never. To, to know and learn and experience and connect yeah. with other people who are different from them. Exactly. It's a very simple recipe. I mean, technically, the idea of, like, community policing, that is what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. You're supposed mm-hmm. to know the members you're to of know your the community. Folks. You're supposed to forge these mutually beneficial relationships. We've completely lost the idea and lost the plot. It's just contact theory. The theory that you don't understand, and instead of being scared, you mm-hmm. sit down and you meet someone where they are. So saying, I've never met a trans person. I think it sounds disgusting. It's unnatural. It doesn't make any sense. But then if I sit down with a person who's willing to be open and I'm willing to be open, at the very least, we can gain a mutual understanding or respect and yes. just simply understand that we are two 
human beings sitting in front of each other. And it's so embarrassingly simple that we are all just people and we're all capable of understanding and respecting that. Totally. Oh, and what I hear a lot is I just don't understand being trans or I just don't understand being non-binary. I just don't understand. You don't have to. You don't need to. You don't understand Finnish, but you know that it's a thing that exists. Yeah. You don't have to in order to get to a place of of respect. You don't have to understand. I don't Mm -hmm. understand the inner workings of the electrical in my house, but I do understand that when I turn the light switch on, it goes on. I don't have to understand that to know that that's real. To respect it. (laughs) And to respect respect it. I respect you. (laughs) I respect you, light switch. I I see you. I respect you. I respect you. Yeah. It's like racists who are like, no, I'm not racist because I have that one black friend. You think black people are fine because you know, but you know a black person who you think is fine. It's Mm -hmm. a poor example and it's not, you know, it's not real. Context theory and work. Yeah. It's the matter of just sitting down with another person. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's embarrassing. Yeah. Recognizing common humanity is is a simple thing to do. It goes a long way. And it goes a really, really long way. And, and you're right, you do not need to understand someone mm-hmm. to respect their humanity. You're right. It's as simple as that. Amen. Kevin, thank you so much for telling us about this riot because I did not know the Mm-mm. first thing about it. Uh, and it just you fucking goes welcome. to show, like you said in the beginning, how much we owe, how much queer people in general owe trans people and trans you're women right. and trans women of color in particular. Absolutely. Especially. And I want to end, too, with sage words of San Francisco trans legend Donna Persona. In Mm -hmm. 2019, she was 72 years young. She herself, being Grand Marshal of the parade that year, said that we are back in the 1960s. And it could get worse. And that was in 2019, folks. Yeah, and it has gotten worse. This nonsense. This year, y'all, there have been over 500 bills and legislatures across the country limiting or fucking removing rights Uh of gender non-conforming queer people like if you are not white you are not straight you are not a person anymore Uh of my life has really been the first one that i felt like truly fucking matters yeah and don't forget too pride is a fun party but Pride started with throwing bricks, sugar shakers, and size 13 high heel shoes, mama. Amen. Sugar shakers. We are in 2023, but you still got to practice your aim. <laughs> you know who we need to report on these stories? Who? We need Murphy Brown, Candace <gasps> Bergen, 77. Uh, oh, oh, Edie. Dream. Uh, uh, beautiful segment. Beautiful. Oh, my beautiful. God. Well, Miss, do you have? Are you the spoop? I do. I am the spoop. You are the you spoop. Want the spoop. Yeah, I am. It's going to be in a different direction. We're going to do something cute. Okay. I love cute. In the first century CE, conquering Roman soldiers made their way to Scotland. When they made their way north to the Scottish Highlands, they met the Picts or the Painted People, a Ooh. fierce tattoo-covered tribe. Hot. The pigs are said to have been fascinated by animals and treated them with immense respect. 
depict stone carvings depicted all kinds of animals in the area, all easily recognizable, except for one. This animal had a long muzzle, a spout on its head, and flippers instead of feet, sometimes described today as looking like a swimming elephant. Hmm. These carvings are the earliest known evidence for the mysterious Loch Ness monster. Yes! Yeah. <laughs> 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 yes, Nessie, we love you. Yes. And this is actually (laughs) this is actually Amanda's favorite like cryptid theory myth legend. So so, you name my baby after the Loch Ness monster. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to explain pop culture to all of you. (laughs) If you don't get it, you don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. So this past week, week and a half, I've been. Oddly obsessed with uh, Prehistoric Planet on Apple TV. Oh, my God. It's so good. Oh. Okay. So for, like, many reasons I'm not going to get into today. But one dinosaur caught my eye. The plesiosaur. Work. This is a marine dinosaur that had a very long neck, a flat oval body, a long tail, and four powerful flippers. And my first thought when I saw it was, oh, my God. That's Nessie. That's, like, every image mm-hmm. of the Loch Ness Monster I picture. Oh, my, in my God. Head. It is Nessie. And right? Very much. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yes. The legend of the Loch Ness Monster goes back at least at minimum 1500 years, which was a surprise to me. She's old, but gold. Always. About 500 years later, St. Columba, who brought Christianity to Scotland, on his way to visit a Pictish king, came across a group of people burying a man in the River Ness. The group said that the man was swimming in the river when he was attacked by a water beast that mauled him to death. Curious, Columbus sent a follower to swim across the river. Just go sacrifice yourself. You know what? That's Um, like classic old-timey Catholic saint bullshit, though. And kind of new-timey Catholic saint bullshit. It's just real Catholic, I guess. The legend goes that the man swam across, and as he's about halfway to the other side, a beast approached him and was about to pull him under (gasps) when St. Columba made a sign of the cross and said, Go no further. Do not touch the man. You shall not pass. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Very exactly that. How old is he? How old is Gandalf? Okay, look. No, not Gandalf. Do get into it? No, no. Ian McKellen uh, yes. in his 80s. No, we are not getting into the theory. Gandalf's okay, like, <laughs> he's one of the Maiar, so like maybe as oh old as time oh itself. Miss, get on my fucking sorry. level. Oh my God, clearly. Jesus. Sorry. <sighs> anyway, so once that happened, the beast complied and spared the swimmer. It's really fun that ancient cryptids yeah. are like, oh, I'm sorry, you invoked Jesus Christ? Right. <laughs> Might be. Supposed might thing be. Had might be. Goodbye. Been around for probably a thousand years before this point, but Jesus kept him away. Mm-hmm. At this early point, the location of the monster was the River Ness, not Loch Ness. But it, in more recent history, the last few hundred years, it has been Loch Ness. In the 1870s, a man reported seeing an object resembling a log or an upturned boat wriggling and churning up the water. It was moving slowly before it disappeared with surprising speed. 
and this account was not published until 1934. In between, though, in 1888, Alexander MacDonald saw, quote, a large stubby-legged animal walk out of the water of the lock coming within 50 feet of the man, and he reported the sighting to the water bailiff and described okay. it as looking like a giant salamander. Although I just like when I read okay. that, I literally giggled to myself. Anybody could be anything then, I guess. <laughs> the water bailiff. Well, I'm going to be this tree bailiff right here for That's this right. tree. You're in charge of that tree. He shall not oh, pass. So you said like it's a little stumpy legged creature coming mm-hmm. out of the water. I'm sorry. That's just my belly. dog Estelle uh-huh. getting out of the bath. Uh-huh. That's right. That's just That's belly right. getting out of the bath. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Now, on an April morning in 1933, a couple was driving along the newly paved road that went around Loch Ness, and they were driving along the northern shore when they spotted, quote, an enormous animal rolling and plunging on the surface. (laughs) They compared it to a dragon or prehistoric monster. They wrote up their account to the Inverness Courier, and it has been a sensation ever since yes now in july of 1933 a couple saw quote a most extraordinary form of animal and quote cross the road in front of their car the animal had a large body a long wavy narrow neck which is said to be a bit thicker than an elephant's trunk but they did not see any limbs people are so critical just like mind your business so what if they were jaywalking just Keep driving. <laughs> so what if the monster was jaywalking? Yeah. And also, Mind like, they business. didn't mention any limbs, but Nessie's it got walked. these stumpy little stumpy little feet and walking in front of a car. They might not have seen it. That, they yeah. might not have seen the legs. They They're distracted by this, this big old neck, you know? Sure. 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 Newspapers then sent correspondents to Scotland to see the beast Radio shows were interrupted with news from the lock. <laughs> Stop <laughs> everything. No, literally like breaking news bulletins would come in. Through, like, news. I'm not doing a school. No, that was good. That was okay. It was okay. Everyone, um, stop your shit. Yeah. You're shite. We've, se- we've seen Nessie. Somebody's seen. <laughs> Crossing the road. You have denied it, fire dear. So messy. <laughs> <laughs> so messy, dear. <laughs> oh, our greatest Scottish hero. <laughs> Brace yourself, Nessie. Brace yourself. And then a circus uh, offered a twenty thousand pound reward for Nessie's capture. Boy Scouts and outdoorsy types came in droves. Just for the chance of a peek. I'm working on my Nessie badge. (laughs) Just missing the Nessie badge, then I can make it to Eagle. (laughs) In December 1933, the Daily Mail commissioned actor and big game hunter Marmaduke Wetherill. No, what? Uh No, pause. What is his name? Marmaduke Wetherill. Now I have a new name to use in hotel check-ins. That's right. It's E R E L L. I only know one Marmaduke, and it's an unfunny giant dog. Yes. <laughs> Same. Honestly, I saw the name Marmaduke, and I was like, hell yeah, this story just got great. <laughs> he was sent in to locate the beast. 
Now, Marmaduke was able to find large prints from a soft-footed animal estimated to be at least 20 feet long. In his excitement, he took plaster uh, forms of Mm -hmm. these prints and he sent them to the National History Museum in London. This was just before Christmas, so literally all of the UK, other parts of the world, were waiting through the holidays on pins and fucking needles. Okay? However... In January 1934, it was discovered that all the prints were suspiciously identical and likely made with a print from a hippopotamus leg that was attached to a stick or something and they were just planting I chopped off the leg of a hippo. The weirdest things can happen from colonialism. I know. It's so weird. (laughs) <laughs> Why you got a hippopotamus leg up there? Oh, this is like, this is peak big game hunting. Yeah. Weird. Uh, it's like everybody is Donald Jr. Yeah. yeah. All yes. over yes. the place. Teddy Roosevelt started that fire. He really did. Yeah, it was big man behavior. Toxic masculinity. So whether old Marmaduke was in on the hoax is unknown. But we'll see more. In January 1934, the same month, Arthur Grant was the next to spot Nessie. And he didn't have a camera with him, but he made a sketch. Perfect. Yep. Yep. Believable. Got it. Just hold still real quick. Let me get the left. (laughs) Could you you turn your head slightly down and to the left? To left. Find your light, Nessie. (laughs) And it had a small head with a long neck. He was a veterinarian student and described the animal as a cross between a plesiosaur and a seal. Look, um, I, I know what I saw. Yeah. I know what I saw. <laughs> I know what I saw. I drew it perfectly. I drew it and here it is. Okay. You We're so it. sorry, Scottish listeners. Sorry, Scotland. Hey, I can say that I'm Scottish. With you in a base. I mean, I'm a smidge. So he took his account and his sketch to a zoologist who told him it was most likely an otter. A 20-foot otter? That's very different from the mix between a plesiosaur and a seal. Uh Uh-huh. Just an otter. Someone's or no one's telling the truth. One of those is the case. No one. It's my guess. My guess is no one. This is also like during the time when taxidermy just was Mm -hmm. wild. Mm -hmm. Just like a People were frankensteining. hobby bits and pieces of mm-hmm. other animals to create yeah. new horrifying creatures Jack-a-lopes. and yeah jackalopes let's, let's return to that time people should we though look mm-hmm. I, I don't want animals to be harmed but this kind of frankensteining taxidermy baby that's art ai can't make oh that's, that's right <laughs> mm, that is correct In 1934, again, English doctor Robert Wilson was able to capture Nessie on film, now known as the infamous surgeon's photograph showing Nessie's small neck and head. Now, Mm -hmm. if you've seen pictures of Nessie, this is essentially what people think of when they think of the Loch Ness Monster. Unfortunately, in 1994, this photo was confirmed to be a hoax when it was discovered that Marmaduke spearheaded the photo idea seeking revenge for his footprints being deemed a hoax. 
What can I say? I live for the drama. I'm a messy bitch who lives for drama. (laughs) Yes, that is. Marmaduke is a messy bitch. I'm a messy bitch. bitch. (laughs) Oh, pun king. I'm a messy, messy bitch. Scottish pun clan chieftain. Oh. There he is. There he is. Oh my God, Um, this episode is without hinges. Okay, let's go. No, unhinged. (laughs) We're off the rails. The picture was actually a plastic and wood head attached to a toy submarine. Sure was. Yes. Yes. But to be fair, it it was like 60 years it took to like debunk the photo. So, you know what? Prove it. Prove it. Yeah. I think they found um, old whatever. What are they called? What do they call it? Film? Cameras used to have film in them? More than 4,000 people would report Nessie sightings by the 1950s. Wow. Dr. Constance White collected these accounts in her book published in 1957 called More Than a Legend. She said her goal in writing the book was, quote, vindication of many people of integrity who reported honestly what they had seen in Loch Ness. So whether or not it was a monster, whether or not it was some ancient prehistoric creature, they were honestly reporting what they had seen. I know what I saw. (laughs) So many of these stories say that and that I will. Everybody knows what they saw. They know what they saw. And if you asked anybody that knew me, they knew like that. I Mm -hmm. I hate that excuse for everything. Ask my friends. What did they have to do with it? You just, you could have just lied to them. You, yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it, as a result of that book in 1958, a group of amateur monster hunters formed the Loch Ness investigation bureau, which lasted for about 10 to 12 years. Okay, Uh, longer than I thought. True. Yeah, me too. I was surprised. Dr. White's book invigorated a generation of monster hunters, including Tim Dinsdale, who gave up his career as an autonautical engineer. Yes. And he, importantly, it turned the tide of public opinion on Nessie, and it elevated it to a subject worthy of scientific research instead of scorn. So this yes. book, like, even if it's just like a genuine account of people, it kind of had an impact in a really fun way. I'm here for that. This is incredible. Yeah. In 1960, Tim Disdale filmed a hump that left a wake across Loch Ness and described her as reddish with a blotch on its side. Many dismissed the film, saying it was just likely a boat. However... In 1993, Discovery Channel made a documentary, Loch Ness Discovered, which included a digital enhancement of Tim's film. With the enhancement, researchers saw the rear body of a creature, and it was it was definitively not a boat. So, that's interesting. Wow. Since the 1970s, there have been many scientific expeditions into Loch Ness in search of Nessie. The Academy of Applied Science in Boston, which most of its members had attachments or relationships with MIT, uh-huh. made a plan of trapping Nessie with the hope of getting an undisputed picture. They worked under Robert Rines, a lawyer trained in physics. What? Weird. I know, I mean, right? maybe just like, a real like, job. like a lane. Patent, what the fuck? Law attorney. Yeah, it could be. It could be patent. A lot of those people have like law and science stuff. Yeah. 
You want to take the bar? Really? Why don't you take a second one? Take the patent bar, too. Just I could fucking never. Robert Ryan's lawyer pointed side-scan sonar out into Loch Ness from the shore and placed an underwater camera with strobe lights nearby, which took pictures every 45 seconds. In 1975, they captured a photo which included flippers attached to a large aquatic creature. Got her. Got her. The photo won over the scientist who invented the side scan sonar and a respected naturalist who the naturalist proclaimed Nessie to be a plesiosaur despite them being extinct for 65 million years. (laughs) So we all make guesses. We all have theories. Um, Well, there's always the bottom of every class. Of, right. of graduating scientists. No, he was like Look, a very... The asteroid was, was big, right? And it did it a was. lot, like, but like, did it get them all? There are legends that there are canals under the lock that these ancient creatures still exist and are like, oh my God. Down yes, there. yes. Bring uh-huh. Hollow Earth into it. Yes. Essentially, yeah, but it's like, yeah, because, and we'll get into it, certain kinds of eels live near the Bahamas, but they travel hundreds of miles every year to lay their eggs in Loch Ness. So it's not a completely unreasonable theory. Just putting it out there. Wait, is that actually, you're saying that's real? No, that's real. That's real, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got, it's a thinker. (laughs) I had to look into it more. Wow. (laughs) After the success of the mission, many sonar-based investigations continued. I mean, came after. In 1987, Operation Deep Scanned used a flotilla of sonar-equipped boats to create a curtain of sound. The investigation encountered three large underwater targets that could not be explained. So we're thinking yes. a little a little herd of Nessies. My goodness. Yes. We don't know what goes on down there. Underwater, no. we don't fucking know dick about what no, goes we on don't. down there. We no, don't know we dick don't. about shit. Not even on a lake. Or a lock. We know way more about space than we know about underwater. That's That's very very true. true. So think about that at three in the morning when you're trying to get to sleep. You're welcome. (laughs) Project Yerkwart was put together. I'm sorry. What? Was put together as a sonar. (laughs) What What did you call us? It's U-R-Q-U-H-R-T. Yerkwart. Right? Okay. I mean, sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Sure. Yerkwart. I'm sure it's wrong. Let us know, listeners. I'm a quart. You're a quart. Everywhere a quart, quart. So it was put together a sonar expedition to study the locks, biology, and geology. This was not a monster hunting mission. This was scientific, more scientific. However. Hmm. I mean, but if you're searching for lock biology, do you know what you're looking for? You're looking for Nessie. You know what you're Yeah, you're just trying to put a a scientific face on it. You're not looking for eel, Um, Jamaican eels. (laughs) <laughs> um however i'd sooner believe you <laughs> i'd sonar believe you uh, 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 uh. oh my god yes that's good yeah the pun princess that's right oh man the sonar detected a large moving underwater underwater target and followed it for several minutes before it simply disappeared many in the expedition believe they found nessie and then in 1997, Rhines, our physics lawyer and colleagues, detected a large moving target via sonar, about 15 feet long, the size of a small whale. 
And then okay. 10 years later, a laboratory technician filmed, quote, a jet black thing about 14 meters or 46 feet long, moving very fast in the water. A marine biologist declared the creature to be an otter, seal, or water bird. No. Nope. But the lab tech knew better. Of course. I know what I saw. Exactly. In 2019, there was new explosive Nessie evidence that came out. So 2019, now the scientific consensus is that Nessie is actually a group of giant eels. So they went there and like they can, they did these water tests that can detect all DNA simply in the water. And what they found was not plesiosaurus DNA, unfortunately, Mm. but they did find a lot of eel DNA. And that makes sense because what I said before, not Jamaican, they're from the Bahamas. So these Ah. Bahamian eels, they live around there, but they, they travel hundreds of miles every year to lay eggs in or near Loch Ness. So it's a good possibility that it, it could be giant eels. I choose not to believe that because I like fun. If we if we went, I have an eyewitness account. Yes. Please. And Please let's do. see. Yes. I was gobsmacked. I just didn't know what it was. Right. I'm driving along the lock side, glancing out the window. You can see the rock formation. I was down on the road there. It just rises. I saw this boiling in the water. I thought, no, it can't be anything. And I carried on a wee bit. Then I looked up and I saw three black humps. I mean, you know, there's the chance I've seen something in the water. But what is it? So I'm gobsmacked. I'm looking out the window. I just didn't know what it was. Then people came behind me and they obviously wanted me to move. But I didn't want to lose sight of this thing. So I pulled over, grabbed my camera, and I thought I was being very cool and very nonchalant and took two or three photos. In fact, as I say... I had taken nine or ten without realizing it. I just punched the button. And then it said, did you see anything else? The interviewer asked. Yeah, I saw two other people who were there. I was just so excited. I didn't get their name or address or anything. They saw it exactly (laughs) the same as me because the wee wifey who... The wee wifey. (laughs) With the wee wifey. (laughs) The wee wifey who would have been a lady in her 50s on holiday. She was Scottish. She said to me... I've not been in the bar this morning. And her husband said, ah, it's an eel. It's an eel. And I said, there are no eels that big. And he said, ah, it's otters. And I said, you don't get otters (laughs) swimming out there like that. I saw what I saw and I'm not going to be dissuaded. (laughs) That's right. That is the eyewitness account of Richard White. Oh, Richard. Richard White. Oh, Richard. But you know what's really interesting of all, there's like over 1,400 distinct sightings of Nessie, documented, of course. And documented, uh, only yeah. 20% report the long neck. Isn't that weird? That is weird. That is weird. Maybe the little head just popped out. Or maybe it's the body that pops out. Maybe they're doing like maybe. a, maybe like they, a yeah. leap out of the water, like dolphin style. Mm-hmm. Or like whale style. That could be it. I just, it was just interesting because I only think of plesiosaur-sized neck. But yeah, so that is that is a quick historic overview of Nessie the Loch Ness. Oh, after 77 oh, episodes, yes, haven't done yes. Loch Ness Monster yet? I was really Excellent. surprised that we hadn't done it. I checked I checked our episode titles twice to make sure we hadn't. 
I had it on my list, but I bought, I sent you guys a picture. I bought that cute little Nessie patch. Yes. yes. Oh, it was a little hint. You yeah. hinted. I didn't mean to, to but it was. But like, because yesterday I had a different idea and then I was like, no, what? No, we're doing Nessie now. Wonderful. I one day yeah. hope to be up there and try and see myself. I'm really, yeah. really bad as the episode goes no, on. No, you know what? Our Scottish accents have been, dare I say, flawless. Flawless. You can say flawless. that. Flawless. Yeah. Flawless. Ah, oh, I. I. That's what I loved about it. The, the old ah, ah, it was it's an eel. eel. Ah, it was an otter. <laughs> Thank you so much for telling us about Nessie. And Amanda, yeah. we hope you enjoyed Mrs. Gift to you. Aww. She may, but she doesn't listen. <laughs> <gasps> oh, it's okay. that's we okay. Forgive. Yeah, but uh, Miss, um, where can we go and have people ship post about Amanda to us on our socials? Please don't do that. <laughs> if you would like to reach out to us, please get us on Instagram at Creepy Inquiries Pod. You could also shoot us an email at creepyinquiriespod at gmail.com. Mm. If you are interested in our sources, check out creepyinquiriespod.com. We list them all there every week. And if you have a minute or a second and you feel so inclined, please head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen and give us a cute little rate and review. It really, it really helps us out. Five stars or I will go through your Instagram backlog and comment on every photo of you. Ah, that's an eel. (laughs) (laughs) And Edie has the time. Listener, thank you so much for joining us on this episode 77, the David Lynch Age episode. Oh, mysterious. Firewalk with me. And until next time, good.